This week's Escape Pod is brought to you by Audible.com. More details after the story. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audible.com slash escapepodsff. Escape Pod 192 March 28, 2009 Today's story, Sumo 21 by Daniel Brom. Hello and welcome to Escape Pod. I'm Steve Ely. I just spent a few minutes stuck at the keyboard trying to figure out how to describe this week's story in just a few words. I'm running dry on that. Best I can do is to quote the story itself. Yume wo miru toki, yume wo miru no wa wakataimasu. And on that note, we present Sumo 21 by Daniel Brom. Mr. Brom lives in New York and has had stories published in Cemetery Dance, Fortian Bureau, and perhaps my fourth favorite SF market name, Electric Velocipede. He seems to specialize in stories that are vivid and geographically far-flung. His South American horror piece, Across the Darien Gap, appeared in our horror podcast Pseudopod last year. This story first appeared in the excellent webzine Abyss and Apex. A note on the narration. I read this story myself because it was too much fun not to. But it has been about 30 years since I lived in Japan. So if any of the pronunciation is seriously wrong, let's just say it's an alternate Japan and they speak their vowels just a little bit differently. Yeah, that's the ticket. So, rinse your mouth out with power water and throw some salt down on the ground. It's story time. Sumo 21 by Daniel Brom. Yume wo mirotoki, yume wo mirono wa wakataimasu. When I am dreaming, I will know I am seeing a dream. Pre tournament sumo meditation. Japan, 200 AE. After the theft of the emperor. Asa Shoryu proudly marched out of the dressing room with the rest of the sumo tori, beginning their descent along the path snaking to the ring in the center of the open-air stadium. Like a procession of overgrown children, the bulky wrestlers, wearing only their mawashi belts, walked two by two, careful to stay safely between the flapping red flags, warning them every few meters not to misstep into oblivion. Beyond the flags, the world between worlds beckoned, the nether, the ethereal sea, purple and sparkling, ready to re-swallow the path forged open by their sensei, Prince Shimotori, who was running the tournament for the good of all of Japan. Tiny white lights danced in the purple, like the sunlight sparkling on the lapping surf of Tokyo Bay. Asashorio quickly turned away. These were not benign souls, like the tranquil fireflies illuminating his memories of home that they resembled, but glowing will-o'-the-wisp forms of the lost ones, those who had died or lost their way while traveling between the worlds. Focus, Asashorio told himself. He pictured a white crane, centered and balanced. Day fourteen of the tournament without a loss. One more match. One more victory, and I will be Sumo-21, and able to join the fight to reclaim the emperor. Asashorio pictured the emperor's ancient and withered form perched in his throne back in the waking world. The memory of his brief look at one of the bundles of tubes and wires keeping him alive sent a shudder through his body. The thought of the emperor's soul, prisoner in a body not his, somewhere in Japan 187531, was almost too much to bear. Yume wo mirotoki, yume wo mirono wa wakataimas, the wrestler next to him muttered, not aware that they had already passed through into the dream time. Asashorio pictured his own teenage and relatively small body back in the heya, sleeping. Here, he was as strong as he felt and big as he believed, every aspect of his appearance a representation of his years of training, every muscle, every inch of fat, a manifestation of his will. The path took its final curve into the stadium. Hulking spaceships, shaped like dragons, floated outside, tethered to the upper tiers, the old weapons of war. The dream ships, 
as Asha Shoryu thought of them, had been long idle. The battle with Japan 187531 had been taken to the tournaments, yet still the ships remained, even though the generals and armies who dreamed them into being were just memories in the lives of their descendants. The crowd in the box seats circling the fighting ring applauded as Asa Shoryu walked into view. He saw their faces, the generals, the emperor's court and top officials, rich corporate heads, the two living Yokozuna, grandmaster wrestlers in their braided belts of white linen. Their hopes were that the winner of this match would become the hero who would break the stalemate with Japan 187531 and bring back the emperor. Both he and his opponent, Takanasuro, were undefeated. The time had come for them to face each other. The Gyoji stepped over the ankle-high straw marking the fighting area into the clay ring. Gold inlaid patterns of squares within circles sparkled on his full-length black robe. A red hat held in place with a chin strap and a red bow at his neck accentuated the elegant garb. But Asa Shoryu focused only on his gunbai, the red and gold paddle with which he would proclaim the victor. Asa Shoryu stepped into the ring, and Takanasuro entered from the opposite side. Out of habit, he imagined the smell of the chamomile from the wrestler's ginkgo-shaped topknot, as there were no smells in the dreamtime. Face each other, the Gyoji commanded. The two huge wrestlers obeyed. Bow! Asa Shoryu and Takanasuro bowed simultaneously. May you have the honor of fighting for the soul of the emperor, they said together. O great emperor, the Gyoji said, continuing the ritual, these two honorable warriors cannot agree who will step aside and who will join the sacred battle to return you to us. We would gladly send all our sons, but the Council of Infinite Japans says there may be only twenty-one. So now they must fight to decide. May the best warrior join the fight, the crowd answered in unison with the Gyoji. The Gyoji stepped back. Asashoryu stared into Takanasuro's expressionless brown eyes. The match would begin upon a tacit agreement between them. He kept Takanasuro's midsection in his field of vision while focusing on keeping his own face blank. He knew the beginner's lesson as if it were part of him. Faces deceive and betray, but all movement starts at the hips. The two wrestlers crouched at their marks, motionless in a moment of quiet like the tranquility before a cloudburst. Then Takanasuro's arm quivered. Just the slightest hint of movement— but like the ripples from a fallen cherry blossom disturbing the calm surface of a lake, it was movement enough. Asashoryu braced himself, hoping to use Takanasuro's force against him and send him out of the ring for a quick win. Takanasuro charged, as expected, his hands striking everywhere in a wild frenzy of slapping attacks. Asashoryu dodged, stepping back to evade, yet trying to stay close enough to grab Takanasuro's arm and pull him forward and out of control. Takanasuro turned to face him, striking at his neck with vicious open-hand thrusts. Asashoryu sidestepped the strikes and caught Takanasuro's arm. Takanasuro grabbed him back, and the two, belly to belly, frantically vied for grip. Asashoryu slid his hands down, grabbed Takanasuro's belt, and lifted in an attempt to jar him off balance. Takanasuro matched his move, and the two held each other, deadlocked. The Gyoji jumped closer and yelled encouragements and ring position to them both, in a sharp rhythm that punctuated the roar of the crowd. Asashoryu wedged his upper thigh just beneath Takanasuro's hip and pushed. The groaning wall of fat and muscle skidded back. With all his weight, Asashoryu slammed his shoulder against Takanasuro's chest, knocking him back. He then quickly got his hands under Takanasuro's leg and lifted up to try and topple him. Takanasuro stumbled back to the lip of the ring and teetered there, his heels against the raised rope edge of the fighting circle, grunting and pushing back. Slick with sweat, and fearing he might slip and land face down outside the ring, Asashoryu pushed with all his might. Takanasuro lifted his leg up in a display of strength and balance that miraculously kept him in the ring. Fall! 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 Asashoryu thought with all his will, 
Takanosudo grabbed him by the belt and with amazing speed and strength managed to spin around. In the instant Takanosudo's back was toward him, Asashoryu pushed. He pushed so hard they both stumbled out of the ring. Takanosudo first. The wrestlers fell, Asashoryu on top. The Gyoji yelled, swinging the paddle in the direction Asashoryu had entered the ring, his black sleeve following with a satisfying swish. I won. I am Sumo 21. As he struggled to compose himself and returned to the ring for the ending ritual, Asashoryu could see the three official judges readying the celebratory cup of sake and the bright green, orange, and yellow banners of the corporate sponsors unfurling from the upper tiers. The great dream ships fired their weapons, lighting the dark purple ethereal sky with great flashes of glowing dragon fire. The wrestlers returned to their feet and squatted across from each other at their starting marks inside the ring. For an instant, instead of disappointment and resignation, Asashoryu saw a look of relief on Takanasuro's face. Then the judges and officials swarmed into the ring and ushered Asashoryu back on the path to the dressing room, where they all would return to their waking lives. He marched at the lead of the procession, surrounded by VIPs toasting him and frantic attendants holding up corporate banners on sticks. They all sang the waking mantra with him for luck. The purple ethereal sea around them seemed almost white with sparkling will-o'-the-wisps, as if every lost one had come to watch. The white lights followed eerily as he walked the path, and Asashoryu wondered if all the sumo he had defeated were indeed the luckier ones. Tatekaite kudasai, Nihon no tamene dewanaku, Kaku nihon no tamene tatekaite kawasai. Fight, not just for this Japan, but for the sake of every Japan. Kamakaze slogan, The War for the Emperor. Asashoryu wiggled his fingers and his toes, then opened his eyes. He didn't spend much time awake, and when he did, he always carried a gnawing anxiety from knowing that for every minute awake he could be spending eight in the dreamtime training. Today, however, in a broadcast from the Emperor's Chambers, the head trainer and Suma One, Prince Kaiho, would be announcing his joining the ranks of the Sacred 21 Tournament Sumo. Asashoryu dressed in his red silk robe. Soon he would be trading it for one of the simple white of the twenty-one. He opened his door to depart for the emperor's palace to find a white-faced woman in a gossamer white robe, a geisha, standing outside in the hallway. Although all geishas look the same, Asashoryu recognized Geisha 73 from her thin red-painted upper lip and the slight variation in the thickness of her night-black hair. Geisha were not permitted in the Sumoheya, not officially, at least. He wondered what Prince Kaiho's companion could want with him, but her dark brown eyes, like a windowless room in the dark, betrayed no clue of her purpose. Perhaps he was still dreaming, and a lost one had enchanted him. Asashoryu recited the traveling mantra, just to make sure, but the walls were still the red brick and polished wood of his heya, with no purple-tinged glow of the nether. You are not dreaming, Geisha 73 said, her voice clear as a monastery's morning gong. Dressed in white, he wondered if she were an omen of ill fate, till he realized all would be dressed in white for the passing of the sumo who made place for him. Still, he worried. He did not want to start with his new life by invoking the rage of the prince. Asashoryu bowed. Even though he was smaller and lighter here, he felt more of a sensation of weight shifting than in the nether. Get up, she said, and ushered him around the corner where it would be harder for them to be seen. Perfume rode the air in the wake of her flowing robe. He could almost see pink and orange flowers swirling behind her. Have you asked yourself, do you have what it takes? she asked him. For a second, he thought she could read his mind and had looked within to his fear of failure. But she was a geisha and couldn't read his mind. She was reading the situation. "'I am ready to serve my Japan and my emperor,' Asashoryu said, giving the proper answer. "'I will study and train and fight my way to the top of the tournament.' 
Geisha 73's red lips parted, letting a brief giggle escape. The smile broke the stoic mask of her face, and he realized how lucky Prince Kaiho was. You really are as they say, she said, a sumo through and through. Do you think training and fighting is enough, even if you are the best, as they say you are? You are too kind, Asashoryu said. I'm not kind. I'm here to serve Japan by warning you. You are being set up to fail before you even begin. The generals have had enough with the tournament. They want to go back to the military way and return to the endless war. But what of the Council of Infinite Japans? Asashoryu said. Prince Kaiho will never allow this. Prince Kaiho is engineering it, she said. Asashoryu looked at her shadow on the hardwood floor. There were no shadows in the dream time. For a fleeting instant, he thought he saw a corona of golden sparks around the pleasing black shape. Prince Kaiho is an honest prince, Asashoryu said. He figured this was a test of his loyalty. What else could it be? And he should say the correct answers, the official state answers. Kaiho's grandfather and father united the planet, he continued, extending the rule of Japan to every ocean and every shore. Oh, you are as simple as they say. But simplicity speaks of a pure heart. Kaiho will never defeat Japan 187531, and there is no frontier on Earth left for him to conquer. He gathers a great army in the nether to move against other Japans, and to repeat the crimes of 187531. The real number string was too long to remember, or even recite without a computer, so everyone shortened it to six digits in conversation. But I begin my training after the ceremony. Kaiho will train you to keep up appearances, but he wants the tournament to remain in a stalemate. He is conspiring with himself, with his other selves, against us. What will be asked of you is not easy. Ask yourself if you are ready to fight for Japan, to fight for every Japan. She turned the corner and was gone, only the scent of her perfume bearing any trace of her presence. Probably slipped through the same secret passage she used to get here, Asashoryu thought. But he didn't think long. He had to hurry to arrive at the Emperor's palace for the ceremony. Sakura, kure kerenina nihon no mukashi harita hana de gozaimasu. Cherry blossom, a beautiful flower that once grew in Japan. Display placard, National Museum, Tokyo. After the theft of the emperor, the throne room bustled with camera crews, reading equipment, and reporters jockeying for position in the press area. Asashoryu stood on the marble floor, shoulder to shoulder with the rest of the sumo of his upper house. On the wall next to him, tapestries of dragons and silver-horned lion-like kirin, their backgrounds bristling with vibrant blues, brilliant reds, and regal purples, stretched from the floor to the high ceiling fifty feet above. A tired, dirty light filtered in through the full wall windows across from them. It was as if the sun would not shine bright without the emperor. Outside, skeletal cherry trees crowded the shores of the river, showing off only a thin coat of sickly green leaves. The firework display of their blossoms had not been seen since the Emperor's theft, and the spaceport could be seen in the distance due to their lack of foliage. On the raised podium housing the throne, the Emperor's attendants were carefully concealing the life support and feeding tubes, as they did before all state functions. They artfully hid the red and blue wires and clear tubes, which now and then filled with an almost fluorescent green liquid under the silken red sleeves and folds of the ancient man's robes. No cameras were allowed to his right, where wires could be seen trailing to the mass of equipment behind the throne, keeping the ancient body alive. With the task of concealment done, the attendants spread salt around the throne and lit candles for protection. But the emperor is gone, Asashoryu thought lost in the sky as he travels the heavens. He repeated the official answer, the one he had learned in the history books to himself. Asashoryu knew it was more dignified than saying the spirit that once dwelled in the body of our ruler is now captive to Japan 187531, 
a Japan who lost their own emperor and reached out through the world between worlds and plucked Emperor Tokji from his body. Sensei Shimatori had told him that Japan 187531 thought of themselves as Japan Prime, the only true Japan Prime, but Adasa Shoryu had thought this notion absurd. Everyone knew that there were infinite worlds, infinite Japans, thinking of themselves as Japan Prime, and they were all wrong. Still, 187531 had managed to keep Emperor Tokji prisoner, despite 130 years of conflict. The attendants scurried away from the Emperor as the broadcast producer entered through a red curtain below and to the right of the podium, heralding the royal court's arrival. The royal guards in black samurai armor, drew their blades. The corporate sponsors held up their banners, hoping for an advantageous cutaway shot. The red curtain slid open, and the sumotori filed in, three by three, with one place at the end of the seventh row noticeably missing. Prince Kaiho, at the first position in the first of the three rows, led the wrestlers to their spot in front of Asa Shoryu and his Heya. Then he took his place at the side of the emperor. His face showed the wrinkles and grayness of age. When all the sumo were in place, the government officials entered. Dozens of frail old men, most wearing robotic exoskeletons made to look like samurai armor, over their arms and legs as motorized walking aids. As they took their seats before the throne, the curtain slid open again, and a stream of geisha entered quietly and without fanfare. The producer looked to Prince Kaiho, and after receiving a nod, he waved to the cameramen. Lights clicked on, flooding the room in a clean, white, shadowless light. It was as if the room before was a fading dream, and Asa Shoryu's memory had just been jarred. Blemishes and wrinkles on the old officials' faces seemed more pronounced, while the made-up geisha seemed even more flawless. Prince Kaiho bowed to his emperor and to the court, then stepped up and began his address. People of the land of the rising sun, he began, his deep, gruff voice filling the chamber without amplification. Asa Shodio wondered if it were a trick of the acoustics. Under the agreement brokered by the Council of Infinite Japans, we have forsaken the all-out war with 187531, which had drained us for a century. But the battle rages on. You have entrusted us the Sacred Twenty-One, to represent you in the tournament, the substitute battle, to determine where the Emperor belongs, by proving which Japan is more noble and deserving through the will of its warriors. To win, Asuma must issue a challenge and defeat all twenty-one of the enemy's sumo. With both sides strong as ever, challenges have been few and far between, lest either side leave their defenses down and vulnerable to defeat. But today I bring news. Thirty days ago, my brother, Prince Musoyama, our sumo too, bravely issued such a challenge. He defeated their best twenty, losing only to their sumo one, my counterpart in their world. Fifteen days ago, we began a new tournament to see who among the upper house would rise to fill the vacancy. And before you today, a new sumo has risen to the challenge. I give you Asa Shoryu, Japan's new Sumo 21. Geisha 73 and four others converged on Asa Shoryu to escort him to the empty spot. They took off his red robe and held the white robe for him to slip into. As the camera lights bathed him in blaring white light, Asa Shoryu thought he could feel the eyes of Japan upon him. He bowed to the camera, and then the producer motioned for a cut to a commercial. The cameras turned toward one of the corporate banners, then the lights clamped out. Follow us back to the Haya, Prince Kaiho said to Asa Shoryu, over the noise of applause. Without the lights, the room seemed grayer and less defined. Asa Shoryu blinked and squinted, then looked to Tokji for any sign of life, but the Emperor's eyes were glazed over, as always. Ai woinate! Kaihosama to Kaihosama no Kyodai to Onji no Ai wo Inorimas. May you be loved like Prince Kaiho loved his brother. Japanese insult. 
Prince Kaiho's eyes betrayed no hint of how his body would move. Here in the dream time, the old prince looked as young and corpulent as any sumo, but something about his demeanor exuded danger and experience. Asashoryu stood in Y stance, across the practice ring from him. Sumo too acted as Gyoji, while the eighteen others circled the ring, watching. I'm the new one, Asashoryu thought. He is going to teach me a lesson. Begin, Sumo too said. Kaiho fainted forward, then circled sideways. Asashoryu paced with him. Takenasudo was worse than this, Asashoryu thought. Kaiho fainted again, then charged. Asashoryu braced himself, eager to lock up in a pushing match to test his strength. In the instant before they touched, Kaiho's charging form winked into that of a giant black-and-white bear. Reflexively, Asashoryu closed his eyes and backed up, right out of the ring into Sumo behind him. The giant panda stood over him, its claws extended, and snarled, showing a mouthful of unnaturally large teeth. The bear swatted at Asashoryu's shoulder, but in the instant before impact, the bear and its meaty paw blinked into Kaiho again. "'Will you back away like that in a match with Japan 187531?' Kaiho said. "'No, sir,' Asashoryu answered, confused as to what had happened. "'Then why do you disrespect me and do so here?' "'You didn't follow the rules.' Asashoryu said, figuring Kaiho had used the dream time to manipulate his form, much as the way all of them appeared as hulking sumo. That is not the way a sumo fights. Who taught you the rules, Sumo 21? My sensei, Prince Shimotori. A sumo fights with his honor. His strength, a manifestation of his will and his honor, is his weapon. No tricks. My will was to get you out of the ring. Do you think Japan 187531 will treat you with honor and not trick you? Get up and try again. Asashoryu took his place in the ring, and Sumo too yelled, Begin! This time Asashoryu charged. Kaiho stood, palms open. A long bow stick materialized in his hands. With lightning speed, he swung the long stick down in a graceful arc, sweeping Asashoryu off his feet. And will you go unarmed when your enemy raises weapons against you? Asashoryu said nothing. Since you are at a loss for words, Sumo 21, we shall start your training over at the beginning. What are the first five animals of our school? Tiger, leopard, crane, dragon, and snake, Asashoryu answered. What are their lessons? Power, speed, balance, range, and agility. You'll need those and more. Shimatori was remiss if he thought your honor alone would raise you to the top. Sumo too, what are the five animals of Aheya? Bear, rhino, elephant, kirin, and spider. Sumo 21, at the end of practice, you will tell me the lessons of these creatures. Pair off. Sumo too, work with Sumo 21. Begin. The room expanded. Nine more practice rings appeared. The sumo filed into them two by two. Prince Kaiho caught Asashoryu by the shoulder. I am hard on you because you are better than them all. You almost look like my brother, he whispered in his ear. Kaiho surveyed him with a look that resembled affection. You will be the one to issue the next challenge. Train hard. Kaiho turned and walked to the practice ring where Sumo 3 and Sumo 19 were facing off. A small, almost transparent butterfly hovered above his head. It flew straight at Asashoryu, then disappeared. A faint trace of floral blossoms lingered for an instant, then all hint of it was gone. Asashoryu faced off with Sumo too, still thinking of the butterfly. He had never smelled anything at all in the dreamtime before. Asashoryu placed his open left hand over his right fist, peace over war, and bowed. Sumo too laughed. No, try again. Even your bow is wrong. He placed his two fists side by side. Like this, he said, and bowed. What perversion is this? Asashoryu thought. But he did as he was told. Good, Sumo too said. Bear is easiest. We'll start with bear first, then tiger claws. Sumo too's hands, up to his forearms, winked into orange and black striped tiger paws. 
If you know Tiger, you can get Bear. Asa Shodio listened to, wrestled with, and learned from Sumo too. When he could, he watched the other rings, which were filled with wrestlers shifting form, sprouting dragon wings, and flinging webs. It made him long for Sensei Shimatori. Sixty-four hours later, Prince Kaiho clapped his hands, the signal to stop. The sumo lined up and bowed to the Japanese flag, then to Prince Kaiho, and last to each other. A good first day with our new warrior, Kaiho said. What did you learn, Sumo 21? Anger, rage, overkill, magic, and entrapment, Asashorio answered. Correct. Back to the waking world for dinner. Prince Kaiho exited the dojo, bowing before he passed through the curtain. The other sumo followed, Asashorio last in line. Above the curtained exit, Asashorio noticed the ghostly butterfly flitting about. After Sumo 20 passed through the curtain, it dove to the floor, and Geisha 73 appeared. She waved her hand, and a silvery curtain appeared next to the one he was about to enter. Hurry, this way, she said, and passed through the curtain. Asa Shoryu followed, and found himself in another practice dojo. Where Kaiho's dojo was dull and austere, this room was warm and bright. Geisha 73's robe appeared to be hundreds of butterflies stitched together in a brilliant, multicolored weave. You have seen the prince's ways for yourself. Now do you believe? Asa Shoryu nodded. Do not wait until you see the great weapons of war in the nether. It is time to arm yourself now. But my training with Prince Kaiho... That is how your enemy fights, and it is good to learn. But you will train with me, like a true warrior, and you will turn out stronger than them all. Geisha 73 spun her arms and traced the opening patterns of a fight with an imaginary opponent. Her movements were circular and graceful, her strategies reactive, punishing her attacker by using his own force against him. Geisha 73 ended the pattern and bowed to Asa Shoryu. Face me, she said. Your first lesson will be to remove me from the circle. It will not be fair, Asa Shoryu said. I promise I will not hurt you, she said. On your word. Asa Shoryu took his place. He would make this fast. Come straight at her and gently remove her from the circle. Now, Asa Shoryu said, and went for her. Geisha 73 opened her arms wide, her robe crawling with movement. The butterflies on her robe came to life and took to the air, swarming him in a blinding cloud of color. Asa Shoryu swung his arms, but he could not see. He felt a hard kick to his knees, then his legs buckled, and he was pushed out of the ring. Geisha 73 stood over him, the insects gone. You will come here after every practice until the tournament. The great dragons of war gather in the nether. You will do this for the good of every Japan. Asa Shoryu bowed. He would do as he was told. Istsuma demo jibun no kao wo sensone atewa inorimasen. May you never face yourself in battle. Sumo good luck wish. Also meaning know yourself. The Council of Infinite Japans sat on a podium on the lower tier of the stadium. Dozens of emperors, each representing a different Japan, would be watching the tournament. Asa Shodio glanced at their avatar forms. Bearded old men, floating Buddha-like children, and one tiny red burning sun, before focusing on Japan 187531's 21 sumo, lined up along a half of a moat of turbulent purple liquid encircling the fighting area. Asa Shoryu swallowed hard. Each loser would be plunged into the nether, lost forever in the ethereal sea. The Banzuke board winked to life, displaying Asa Shoryu's name across from 187531's 21. At the top of the list, the name Prince Kaiho, there Sumo won. Asa Shoryu and the opposing Sumo 21 stepped into the ring and faced each other. The Gyoji, in a green silk robe decorated with a yellow trim bearing black suns, followed. Asa Shoryu spoke and heard the ritual words as if he were underwater. 
he listened for the signal. There would be no starting on trust today. Begin, the Gyoji shouted. 187531's Sumo 21 charged, pummeling into Asashoryu. Asashoryu let himself be pushed back, almost out of the ring, then at the last second grabbed his opponent's arm and turned, sending him careening out of the ring into the moat for a quick win. A puddle of the purple liquid from the splash dribbled by Quicksilver and rejoined the moat. Ketagori, the Gyoji called, announcing the technique Asashoryu had executed. Win! He thrust his gunbai to Asashoryu's side. The characters representing 187531's Sumo 21 disappeared from the board. Asashoryu stamped his legs up and down to stretch them as the next Sumo entered the ring. Begin! the Gyoji called. The Sumo 20 spread his fingers wide and changed into a wild-haired clawed demon. Weakling! It taunted from contorted blue lips beneath its long green nose. Asashoryu stood his ground. It's only a sumo, he told himself. The demon circled, its scraggly red hair changing color as it moved. Asashoryu stepped in and grabbed the demon's hairy arm, quickly locking it. The demon howled, raking him with its free claw. Asashoryu twisted his body, bringing the demon down outside the ring. Kimedashi, win! the Gyoji called. These sumo are easy, Asashoryu thought. Prince Musoyama had done well, eliminating their best. Asashoryu looked to the Banzuke screen. The word Fusenhai appeared next to the next 18 opponents, indicating they would not fight, thus losing by default. Asashoryu looked to the Gyoji, who in turn looked up to the council. Asashoryu knew the tactic was legal, though he had never seen such a display of confidence in one wrestler. All their hope was in their sumo one. Asashoryu stopped his arm from shaking. Japan 187531's sumo one, their Prince Kaiho, identical in appearance to the man he knew, stepped into the ring. Begin! the Gyoji said. Kaiho rushed forward. Asashoryu dodged and caught Kaiho's arm, hoping to throw him out of the ring with his own momentum. Kaiho skidded to a stop, grabbed Asashoryu's wrist, and pulled Asashoryu's arm to his body, locking it. Asashoryu twisted his arm free and backed up before Kaiho could throw him down. Kaiho moved in. With no time to evade, Asashoryu met him and pushed. He felt his body wanting to slide backwards, but he held his ground. They grappled for inside holds on each other's mawashi belts. Asashoryu folded his arms in Oshitayoshi position and pushed out. Kaiho countered with Uomata, grabbing and lifting Asashoryu's leg as he moved in. Asashoryu let Kaiho get an inside hold and used his freed hands to thrust his palm heels at Kaiho's chest. As the blows connected, pain shot through him. Kaiho's skin had turned to stone. A small frozen smile was etched on his lips. Asashoryu seized the opportunity and grabbed him around the waist, but found him too heavy to lift. A hollow laugh escaped Kaiho as razor wire sprang into existence, wrapping itself around his marbled skin. Still, Asashoryu held on. No matter how sharp and heavy, I will not let go, he thought. Kaiho took a lumbering step forward, and Asashoryu broke his hold, seizing the chance to grab Kaiho's ankle. Kaiho struck with a deceptive speed, grabbing Asashoryu's wrist, and snaked his other arm under Asashoryu's elbow. Kaiho began to twist to flip him over, but Asashoryu pulled his hand away with a painful snap and retreated to the center of the ring. Asashoryu sucked in deep breaths and gracefully circled his hands over each other to calm himself. He imagined hundreds of feather-like legs crawling all over him. In an instant, a brilliant robe of butterflies covered his skin. Kaiho took another heavy step forward, the crooked smile on his face slowly widening. Asashoryu pictured the insect's wings beating and opened his arms. The robe sprang to life in a burst of electric blues, oranges, and yellows. With hundreds of fluttering wings behind him, Asashoryu appeared like a butterfly, until the cloud flew at Kaiho, engulfing him in a colored blur of legs and wings.
Asashorio stepped in to deliver his final disabling blows, but the cloud dispersed, butterflies and precious wing dust swirling away from Kaiho, who emerged as a wingless blue dragon, his lower half hidden in a spinning whirlwind of white clouds. Kaiho rose high above the ring, yet still within bounds. The wind blew Asashorio's hair and plastered an orange monarch onto his mouth. He focused, writing his hair and winking the insects out of existence. Kaiho raced down, blinking into his hulking human form, feet first, just before striking Asashorio. Asashorio tried to roll and dodge, but Kaiho hit him in the back. Reeling with pain, Asashorio reached around and grabbed Kaiho's legs. Hundreds of red ants appeared on Kaiho's legs, swarming Asashorio's hands and covering him in bites. But Asashorio held on. He felt the rope edge of the ring against his heels. If I fell backward now, I could send him out of the ring. More ants covered him, like a living robe, the pain everywhere. But he might pull me with him. Asa Shodiu thought of the nebulous, almost-human shapes that followed him after his victory in the qualifier match. I don't want to become a lost one, but this is my only chance. Asa Shodiu lifted, bringing all of Kaiho's crushing weight off the ring. He pictured himself marching with Sensei Shimatori and the sumo of his old house, steering clear of the flags, warning them away from the edge of the nether. His arms trembled, then he allowed himself to fall onto his bottom. As he did, he yanked on Kaiho's belt, sending the prince sailing over him. The momentum sent Asashorio onto his back and tumbling, feet over his head, out of the ring, following the prince into the nether. Asashorio felt a brief resistance, as if he had pushed up against a bubble or a thin membrane, then an ominous silence as he passed through. He felt weightless, yet he sank, the moat he had passed through, now a glowing circle of light growing steadily farther away. He spun and tried to swim, then saw Kaiho below, sinking in a cloud of ants, abandoning him like rats from a doomed ship. Below Kaiho, a constellation of glowing lights rose from the purple depths. Hundreds of lost ones, glowing will-o'-the-wisp lights where their hearts once were, converged on Kaiho like hungry fish, their twisted and demonic faces all shouting at once. Bring me candy! I'm thirsty. What was the score of the baseball game? This is unfair. Tell my husband I love him, they murmured. A lost one broke from the pack and floated up. Jellyfish-like tentacles extended from its fingers, reaching for Asashorio. As the first gossamer needle stung him, he felt pressure around his waist and looked down. A giant silver hand closed around him, then the sea disappeared. Asashorio found himself atop a mountain, looking down through the clouds at lush forests. Mount Fuji, Asashorio thought. The sun above burned red its rays moving slow enough to see, giving the illusion of a Japanese flag in the sky. A silver flash exploded among the clouds, then a chariot appeared. A golden-haired Kirin, with a single silver horn atop its head, pulled it to Asashorio, silver dust trailing in the air beneath its hooves. The chariot touched down on a rocky crag close to him. Emperor Tokji sat inside, looking young and regal, as he did in pictures. Come, the emperor said. The red sun in the sky scintillated as he spoke. Where the Kirin was, now stood Geisha 73. Asashoryu approached in a reverent crouch. Rise. You have won the tournament. I am free. They complied? They set you free? It was the will of the Council of Infinite Japans. This is a happy day, my emperor. Your body awaits you home in the palace. The emperor frowned, and the sun darkened. I have been imprisoned for far too long. I do not wish to return to an ancient husk. You will return to my body in my place, and execute my final orders. Put an end to Kaiho and the generals. Send the fleet into the nether. Choose a worthy successor. 
and then let my body die with dignity. I will obey, Asushoryu said. I will stay in the nether, forever the emperor of the lost ones, Tokji said. We will patrol the world in between worlds, and deal with any who dare cross their boundaries to commit such a crime as the one I have suffered. When I die, when your body dies, Asushoryu corrected himself, what will happen to me? I will send my chariot for you. You can serve with me, or forever be anywhere you wish. Asashoryu wished to be taken into the sun, to become the rays that fed the cherry trees, and then to float in the world as a fleeting fragrance, as beautiful as Geisha 73. Geisha 73 smiled. A corona of golden sparks surrounded her. The sparks engulfed her and changed her shape back into the golden kirin. "'Your deeds will not be forgotten,' the kirin said, in Geisha 73's resonant voice, as it pulled the emperor's chariot into the air. The sky flashed silver, and then everything disappeared in a blinding spray of golden sparks. Asashoryu's eyes snapped open. He was now in the waking world and felt cold. Machinery whirred and hummed behind him. Pain ran up his spine, and he itched, deep inside where he could not scratch. He tried to speak, but his mouth was too dry. He moved his arm, barely lifting the silken royal robes. A cheer resounded, and Asa Shoryu realized he was in the royal palace. He moved his arm, more this time, and the royal court let out a cheer. Asa Shoryu motioned stiffly to the royal attendants for something to write. They quickly produced paper and a pen, and he scribbled a few characters. Gather Prince Kaiho, the generals, the full court, then ready the palace for the funeral of Sumo 21. Tenowa Nihon Degazaimas, Tenowa Inochi Degazaimas. The Emperor is Japan, the Emperor is life. Japanese proverb. We are here to honor the fallen Sumo 21, and all who gave their life for my return, Asashoryu said, with the Emperor's scratchy voice. Prince Kaiho and the generals stood in front of the full royal court. Asashoryu's former body lay in a simple open casket before the royal podium. Before we begin the procession, Asashoryu said to Kaiho, send the fleet into the nether. Yes, my Emperor. Kaiho replied. He whispered to the general behind him, who sent one of the soldiers running down the aisle, past the perimeter of guards, and out of the throne room. Outside, visible through the tall windows, an elegant wooden skiff floated in the river. The green had returned to the trees. Pregnant buds hung in the cherry branches, ready to burst. "'I fear I do not have much time,' Asashoryu said to the court. "'I will be leaving you.' I name Prince Shimotori as my successor. He is a man of honor. Kaiho stepped forward. My emperor, as your eldest direct descendant, I am next in line. For conspiracy against this and every Japan, you and all the generals are banished. The royal guards stepped forward. The emperor's attendants walked down from the podium, small round devices throwing purple sparks in their hands. My attendants will see to it. You may never enter the world between worlds again. Kaiho looked as if he would run, but the guards surrounded him. A rocket is waiting at the spaceport downriver to carry you into the coldness of space, freeing Japan of your taint, Asashoryu said. Or you may end your lives with dignity. He opened the case on his lap, revealing the gleaming swords inside. I leave you to your fate. The attendants carried Asashoryu out through the curtains, through the palace, and to the boat on the river. Asashoryu pictured Emperor Tokji in the nether, quelling the voices of the lost ones with candy and answers, and organizing them and the great dragon dreamships into an army of honor. His duty done, Asashoryu ordered the ropes mooring the boat cut. He stared at his old body resting in its casket as the boat began to float in the current. 
The cherry blossoms opened as the wooden ship drifted past, ever so slowly nearing the rocket at the launch platform, waiting obediently to take him and the Emperor's body into the sun. And that was our story. I had an interesting reaction the first time I read this one through. I'd been thinking the whole time, okay, they're talking about infinite Japans, and Japan only seems to be competing against Japan. What about the rest of the world? Are there no other cultures in any reality? And then it occurred to me just how many alternate world stories I've read where the United States is the only culture of any interest. At that point, this struck me as really pretty clever. Speaking of clever, I'd been thinking about Dan Simmons' books recently. This is my segue into our Audible endorsement, by the way. Simmons is one of the most boldly literary SF authors, taking inspiration from the classics and turning them into damn good sci-fi adventure novels. The first book of his I read, Hyperion, is still one of my absolute favorite books. It's Canterbury Tales, sort of. If Chaucer's pilgrims were headed to a desolate planet where they'll attempt to seek favors from a terrifying monster called the Shrike, who's unbound by time, and who, they all know, will kill all but one of them. On the way, they tell their stories, and each one of those stories has incredible power and will haunt you. Hyperion's available on Audible, unabridged with several narrators. If you like, you can get it as your free download when you go to audible.com slash escapepodsff and sign up for their free trial. Even if you cancel the trial, the book is yours to keep. That's a lot of upside. Once again, the URL is audible.com slash escapepodsff. Escape Pod is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. You can share us all you like, but do so with honor. If you like this week's story, please tell a friend or blog about us. And if you'd like to help us support our authors, we hope you'll consider leaving a donation via the PayPal link on our site, escapepod.org. Also check out our sister podcasts, Podcastle at podcastle.org and Pseudopod at pseudopod.org for the best in fantasy and horror short fiction. Our music is by permission of Daikaiju. You can hear more from them at daikaiju.org. That was our show for this week. Our closing quotation comes from legendary filmmaker Akira Kurosawa, who said, In a mad world, only the mad are sane. We'll see you next week. Until then, Tanoshinde. Shinde!